0: This morning, I want to speak to all of us, but I also want to speak especially to anyone here this morning who is in trouble. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you believe that you're in trouble, you're facing a crisis in your life, in your personal life, in your home, perhaps something associated with your work, if you're facing trouble in your heart, perhaps no one knows around you that you're struggling at a heart level, Uh, I want to speak to you today especially. Uh, I believe the Lord has a word for you. Uh, You know that we're in a series on John 15, and sometimes uh, the Lord makes it very clear that I need to step out of that series, and so this morning we're doing that. I was not clear uh, on anything except that I wasn't preaching from John 15 this week until uh, over the last 48 hours, the Lord made it very clear what he wanted me to do and to say. I want to call your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And so if you'll take your Bibles, or however you look up God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to read a passage of Scripture that I believe helps us understand the truth about your trouble, the truth about your trouble. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 to 10. The Apostle Paul writes, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast. Yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities or weaknesses. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and this message that you have for us today as your children. And Lord, cause it to come alive. Help us to hear more than just the, my voice or the words printed on this page. But Holy Spirit, would you take it and make it come alive in our heart and in our mind. And I pray especially for that person today that you're speaking to who's in trouble may their heart be encouraged and may they be filled with hope and may they enter into a bright place of understanding and enable them to escape darkness we ask it in jesus name amen the truth about your trouble i've said this when i first came here just over four years ago now um, as pastor that as i began to know the people who are Wynne Baptist Church, that I had never been in a single church family that had experienced more loss, more tragedy, and more pain than this church. And I've been in a lot of churches. It puzzled me. I still don't have an explanation if someone were to come up and say, explain to me why that's the case. I don't know. But I do know the Bible has much to say to you and me about trouble and trials and tribulations and distresses and reproaches and persecutions and all the things that he lists, the five things he lists at the end. The Bible has much to say to us about it. And so if you're in trouble today, I want you to know that that the Scripture speaks far more about the situation that you're in than if you're sitting here and you can't think of a problem you have. If you're sitting here and you're absolutely trouble-free, the Bible would say that you're blessed, surely, but it also would say it's not going to last long and that the more we live in this world, the more we realize there's difficulty, hurt, pain, sorrow. And yet he still speaks to us to rejoice always, even in trouble. Well, as we've studied John 15, we've seen why. Because when he saves a person, when he forgives their sin, when they turn to him in repentance and trust, He removes their sin but he does far more than that doesn't he he comes to live inside of us and he dwells in us but then he he also causes us to dwell in him and so over and over again in scripture we're described as men and women who are in christ if you're in christ this morning you may be in trouble but you're in christ in trouble and that changes the whole complexion of your destiny and your experience this morning So, I believe in this passage of Scripture, Paul helps us understand the truth about your trouble. And there are at least three things that he calls attention to from his own experience. So, he is not just preaching at you from a hypothetical knowledge of Scripture. He is speaking to you and me out of his own experience. And it's intense, and it's tough, and it's hard. And he understands where you are this morning. So, Here's the truth in three parts. In, uh, the first thing I would say is this about your trouble. He has a plan for your problem. He has a plan for your problem. The setting for this passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, actually begins in chapter 10 and 11, the two chapters preceding this chapter. Paul's dealing with false teachers in a place called Corinth, a church that he helped to start that others had nurtured and and helped to grow and so this church was important to him but you don't have to read the books of first and second corinthians very long before you realize there is there there's a, there are a lot of problems in these in this church and there's great difficulty in this church and there's great pain and hurt and confusion and division in this church so so on top of everything else that was already happening false teachers had come, and they were beginning to teach things that were contrary to the truth. And one of the things they were doing in order to gain a hearing was to compare themselves to Paul and to suggest that because of the Paul, the way Paul's taught, the way that he spoke, because he wasn't like a traditional person trained in rhetoric and logic and speech of that day, because he didn't do what everybody did, which was when you spoke and you were trying to make a point, you boasted. You bragged about it. That was part of the culture. Sounds strange to you and me, but it really should not because we have elements of this even in our culture. Uh, when we brag, um, we, we try to put others down. We may do it for fun, or we may be very serious. Uh, we talk smack. Uh, we, we, we do different things, sometimes just in jest, sometimes we're serious, but we, we have that in our culture. And the person who can make the best cut, the person who can put down someone else the most effectively whether it's on the news or in politics or whatever when who has a, who has the best sound bite we say yeah good good work boy they got him. good comeback and so we have that even in our own culture and and paul didn't teach that way he didn't talk that way but these false teachers did and so in chapters 10 and 11 paul goes to great lengths to say you know that this, this practice of boasting when you're in the church is, is unbecoming of someone who is spiritual. It's unbecoming someone who's a Christ follower. And, and, and he makes a case for saying that this is really not the way we should act, it's not the way we should talk, it's not the way we should behave. Then he does something really interesting. He says, but if you wanna compare If you want to compare yourself to me, if you're a false teacher, he says, if you want to do a comparison, I got you. And he does that in chapters 10 and 11. He says, you want to talk about this? Let me tell you about this. You want to talk about this subject? Let me tell you about this subject. You want to talk about people who've suffered for Jesus? Let me talk to you about what it means to suffer for Jesus. And he he goes into this this great discussion, description of his life. Some things we don't know what he's talking about because it wasn't recorded for us. But he, he tells us about what's happened to him. And then he comes to, to chapter 12, and, and he's continuing. He's right in the middle of this discussion. And he's saying to them, look, he said, if you want to talk about insight, if you want to talk about people who have a connection with God, if you want to talk about someone who's, who's been in God's presence in a really powerful and a special way, let me tell you about a guy who, who years before had an encounter with God that he can't even talk about. And he didn't talk about it. We don't know the substance of what happened when he was caught up to the third heaven, he says. We don't know what happened. We don't know what he saw. We don't know what he heard. He said it wasn't even lawful for for ordinary sinful people to hear what he heard. But then he says this in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, he doesn't tell us what the thorn in the flesh is. If you pick up a commentary on this passage of Scripture, you're going to read it, and maybe they'll make a good case for what they believe the thorn in the flesh is. But if you pick up another one, they're going to have a different opinion. Paul does not tell us what the thorn in the flesh is. What he does tell us is why or how God used that thorn in the flesh in his life. And he says it twice in verse 7 lest I should be exalted above measure. He said, that's why God let this happen to me, so that I wouldn't become proud. And and by implication, he's saying, these guys that are boasting, that are exalting themselves, that are trying to show themselves to be better than me, he said, that's really problematic because my experience has been that God will do whatever it takes to stop the formation of pride in my life, and this is how he did it to me. He allowed this thorn in the flesh it's painful it's hurtful we don't know the full story of it but we know it's real he allows this thorn in the flesh to come into my life and it keeps me from becoming proud and full of myself what i see in this is that things do not happen to you and me just by chance I'm not suggesting to you that every problem you have is one that God sent to you. I am saying to you that every problem you have is not in your life by accident, that God is fully aware of the problem that you have. And he certainly, at least, and I can say this with complete authority in God's word, at least I can say that he has allowed that problem to come into your life. And that causes problems for some people because we don't like our problems. How many of you like your problems? we don't like our problems. And so to hear pastors say, well, God's allowed this problem to come into your life, you're saying, well, I don't like the preacher now either. (laughs) And it's one of the great theological points of tension that the church has wrestled with almost from the very beginning. In the second century, I could take you to certain writers who were wrestling with this concept of if God is good, God is powerful, God can do anything he wants, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? It's an ancient problem, ancient question. Paul's not answering that question. What he does say to you and me is this, I had a problem. I recognize now that God allowed that problem in my life and he had a purpose for that problem. And so whether he's the author of that problem or not is not the point. The point is, everything that comes into your life, child of God, is part of the plan of God for you. It is not an accident. God did not blink and suddenly allowed a problem to come into your life that he went, oops, I didn't mean to do that. God doesn't work that way in your life. He loves you. He is passionate about you. And when that problem comes to you, you need to know that God is not taken by surprise and in fact what you really need to know Paul's saying is that you need to understand that there's a purpose to it God has a plan it's don't, don't get to a place where you're so angry, so hurt so bitter about your problem that you miss the point of your problem and that the Lord is at work to bring good Even from the darkest things that have entered into your life, there's mystery here. There are many things I can't answer that you might want to ask about this. But according to Paul, at this moment, you and I need to know this. So, the first aspect of truth about your trouble is this He has a plan for your problem. The second thing is this He is enough. Not only does he have a plan, but when you're in trouble and you you say, okay, God has a plan. Thank you very much. You also need to understand that this God who has a plan and he's working through your problem, that he is enough to get you through that problem. And Sometimes we scramble and we run and we do everything we can to get out of the problem except turn to him. In verse 8, listen to what, what, what happened to Paul. Listen to what he said. Concerning this thing, I pleaded. Now, I don't want to go past that word pleaded too fast. Because sometimes we read about the Apostle Paul and we think, well, you know, he had such a close walk with God. He healed people, raised people from the dead, had an insight into the heart of God that none of us will probably ever approach. He was just this incredible thinker. He was gifted. He had all of these resources at his disposal. And certainly, if he is asking God for something, he is in sync with the heart of God and God's going to do whatever he asks him to do. But Paul says, no, my prayer life at this moment wasn't like that. My prayer life was more like this. God, please make it stop. please make it stop. Oh God, please make it stop. He says, I pleaded with the Lord. Have you ever pleaded with the Lord? Have you ever been a place in your walk with God where you just cried out to him and you said, oh God, I don't understand. Would you make this stop? And he says it. He said, I pleaded with the Lord three times. Now, I said it three times. But I would strongly suggest to you that what he's describing is not that he said, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, and he was done in 30 seconds. I would strongly suggest to you that what more likely happened is that he had an intense time of seeking God, crying out to God for whatever length of time it took for him to to unload his burden and to lay it at God's feet, and he cried out to the Lord, and he cried out to the Lord, and that was session one. And then he did it again. He pleaded with the Lord. He had another occasion where he spent a time of great, intense seeking of God and praying, and he pleaded with the Lord, and it took time, and that was session two. I envision, when I read this, I envision three gardens of Gethsemane experiences in the life of Paul on this one issue. And I mention the Garden of Gethsemane because what did Jesus do when he was confronted with the cross? Oh God, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. Does that sound like a plea? Does that sound like someone who wants to go through the most horrific experience that any human being has ever gone through? And so at that moment, there was the will of God, and then there was the the will of Christ, and in the Garden of Gethsemane, those two things had to come together and become one thing. Jesus didn't have to have three Garden of Gethsemane experiences. He was the son of God. He was perfect. Everything he did pleased the father. But dear one, I see an absolute real moment in the life of Christ where he's saying, God, if there's a way out of this, if there's a way to stop this, if there's a way not to go through this, take this cup from me. And he comes into the garden with his will and the father's will. He leaves the garden with one will. And Paul's going through a very similar kind of experience. Thorn in the flesh, dear one, can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the hurt? Can you imagine the sorrow that brought this brother to a place where he cried out to God three times, make it stop? Initially, all he can think about is getting rid of the pain. He says, he pleaded the Lord three times that it might depart from me and he said to me this is what God says to him my grace is sufficient for you so what he's doing he's thinking all I want to do is make it stop and right now you may be at that very same moment in your life and all you can think about like Paul in those three garden experiences is oh God just make it stop and that's all you can think about but this is the answer he gets He's asking for God to make it stop. Listen to what God says. My grace is sufficient for you. That's the answer. He is enough. The word sufficient describes something that is a barrier, like a wall, like a fortress. And and when he says my grace is sufficient for you, he's saying that this is enough to satisfy the situation. It is enough to ward off want It is enough to to drive away need. It is a way to to satisfy you in the midst of a very unsatisfying situation. My grace can do that for you. And so when he refers to grace, what does he say? We know how grace is used in salvation. We say, for by grace are you saved through faith. Some people define grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, we, We use that word in a lot of different ways. But listen grace is who God is my grace is sufficient for you my favor on your life my presence with you my presence in you my presence in your life that is sufficient I am sufficient he is enough and so everything that you need he has already provided for you in himself and we see this all throughout scripture Let's say I need rest in my soul. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And and so he, he puts the two together. You need rest. You need relief in your soul. You need somehow to step into the light from the darkness that you're living in. He says, come to me. Come to me. I need strength. I can't go another step, God. I'm absolutely worn out. I'm floored. I can't go another single moment. I need strength. God, give me strength. What does he do? How does he provide strength? Does he have a little package and he puts strength in the package and he wraps it up and he ships it to you overnight mail? No. Paul says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is our strength. God is my strength. He doesn't separate the things that He gives you from Himself. And everything that you need is in Him. And if you have Him, you have everything you need. It's a matter of discovery. It's a matter of learning. It's a matter of cultivating. It's a matter of learning to walk. But you have everything you need. You have it right now, dear one. It's not sitting on a shelf somewhere waiting to be shipped to you. You have right now in Christ everything that you need for this moment. He's saying what you need is me. So the truth about your trouble is this. He has a plan for your problem. He is enough. And then thirdly, he steps in when you step aside. He steps in when you step aside. Look at verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I believe God is saying to Paul that your strength, your power, is an illusion. The enemy wants you to think that you can do it on your own. That you don't need anybody else and you certainly don't need God. I think he was the one that invented the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, because that's totally unscriptural, totally. He wants you to live in a relationship with him where you discover that you do not have what you need, but he has everything that you need. And so your strength is an illusion. You think you got it all together this morning? You think everything's okay in your life? You think you don't have a problem in the world? You're being lied to. You're deceived if you think that where you are right now, that you don't need God and you don't need him powerfully in your life, working, sustaining you, providing for you what you need. What I also believe is being said here in verses 9 and 10 is that God does not come to you and me to prop us up. He said, it's, it's when I'm weak that I'm strong. He doesn't come to prop you up. If I understand this correctly, with the sending of the thorn, this messenger of Satan. If I understand it correctly, far from propping me up, God may be knocking the props out. He may be knocking the props out of your life right now to such an extent that you can hardly breathe. I want you to look again at the end of verse 9. Why does all this happen? He says that the power of Christ may rest upon me." That word, rest, means literally to build a tent on, the tabernacle on. He said, he said, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities these moments when I'm weak, these moments when the props are knocked out, these moments when I'm pleading with God to take something away and I realize he's not taking it away, that he has a plan and a purpose for what I'm experiencing, that in these moments I can truly rejoice. Why? because then and only then does he come and tabernacle on me and camp on me and set up shop in my life. Because what's happened is now all the stuff that was in the way where I was trying to fix it myself and I was trying to take care of it myself and I was trying to take care of of everything in my own effort with my own ingenuity, with all the resources that I have, all of that has now been moved out of the way. And sometimes it takes trouble to move the junk out of the way so that he can work, so that he can do what he wants to do in us and through us. I've shared this story before. Hopefully you've forgotten it. It's a great story. Some years ago, we had an old Buick. It was the best little riding car that we ever had as a family. We didn't fit in the car. We didn't fit in most cars that we had. Six kids. Six kids. So we had this Buick one time, and, and um, this was before cars got too complicated. I used to work on, on my own stuff, do oil changes and all that. And the water pump went out on this car one day. And I thought, well, I can do this. Gail's daddy, he and I had worked on cars together, and I learned a lot from him. And so I thought, I can do this. I can change this water pump. And so I lifted that hood. I kind of looked at everything. I said, okay, it looks like that has to come off. So I got... my my wrench out and I took whatever that was off I said oh this is still attached I got to take that off and all all the while I'm just trying to get to that water pump and I finally get to it I said okay now I got to detach it and it's on this little piston and it's going to slide right off if I can get everything else out of the way and just undo these bolts it'll slide right off that piston I can take it to the the parts store and they'll give me a new water pump And I'll put it on I'm going to save thousands of dollars I got all the way to that point. I'd taken everything off. I'd sort of set it aside so I would kind of remember where everything goes. And I got to that point, and I unhooked it, and it was loose. I could spin it around the piston. The only problem is when I slid it to the left to come off that piston, it hit the side of the engine wall, the side of the car. And suddenly I realized that I had a very special kind of vehicle where you had to literally lift the motor out of its compartment in order to slide just a water pump off a piston. I wasn't happy. So I thought, I can't do this. I don't have a, a winch. I don't have the chains or whatever. I can't lift that out of there. So I put everything in a box <laughs> and I, I had it towed to my, my favorite shade tree mechanic who actually had a business fixing cars And I said, here it is. I need a new water pump. He looked at my box. He looked at what I had done. He just sort of chuckled. He said, you didn't realize that engine had to come out, did you? I said, no, sir. He said, well, I'll I'll take care of it for you. I said, do I get a discount? (laughs) And you all laughed, but I was serious. I said, I've already done all the hard part. I've gotten all that other stuff out of the way. I've done all the hard part. He says, yeah, you've, you've done the hard part. He said, but i got to figure out where all these pieces go. <laughs> that was in Lake Charles, Jane. And, um, and, and i got to figure out where all these pieces go. In other words, I was doing my very best to try to fix the problem. I had applied myself. I'd used every ounce of my wisdom. I'd used every ounce of my ability. I used every tool that I had. I used everything that I could to solve that problem. You know what? I was just in the way. I was just in the way and right now the the length of time that you may be struggling with your problem I think you need to ask yourself an honest question is God ready to step in I mean he may be more ready to step in than you are to get out of the way are you ready to trust him and say God I surrender this to you father I don't know what it's going to take but I have realized now and I've come completely convinced that I am weak and you are strong that I don't have what it takes, and I don't have the abilities, I don't have the resources to do what needs to be done. In verse 10, he says, therefore, the apostle writes, I take pleasure. He sounds like a masochist at this point. Listen to what he says. I take pleasure in infirmities. The word there, asthenia, in Greek, means to have no strength. Ah, ah means none. He said, asthenia, I have no strength. I take pleasure in those moments when I have no strength. He says, I take pleasure in infirmities, no strength, and reproaches. Reproaches is a nice word for public humiliation. When you've been shown a fool in front of everybody and everybody's making fun of you and everybody's criticizing you and everybody's laughing at you. He says, I take pleasure in reproaches. I haven't done that yet, by the way. So don't try to make me happy today. He says, I take pleasure in needs, And and this describes crises and catastrophes, things that are out of your control that have been forced on you. It wasn't your choice. But when these crises, catastrophes, needs happen, it's beyond your control. You wouldn't have chosen it if you had a choice in the matter, but it comes. He says when that happens, all the props are knocked out. I am weak. And that's when I know his power is coming. That's when I know he's coming to tabernacle on me. And so I take pleasure in needs, in persecutions, times when you're being hunted, times when someone is out to get you, times when someone wants to harm you, in distresses, those are like narrow, tight places. Literally, the word means narrow, tight. You know, you ever been in a tight spot? You ever been in a crack? That's what the word means. He says, I take pleasure in those moments when I'm in a tight spot for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That means that the greatest work that God is going to do in your life is not when you've got it all together. Not when you have all the strength and resources that you think you need. Not when you're on top of the world. The greatest thing that God's going to do in your life is probably going to be at those moments that are not much fun. But if your eyes, if you can turn your eyes, set them on Jesus, watch Him. Watch Him. Watch for him. Watch what he will do. Let me apply this in a couple of ways. We say we want God to work in our church. After what I've just said, what Paul just said, do you really want God to work in your church? We say we want God to work in our lives to accomplish something in our life, to work through us powerfully, to use us powerfully. That problem you have that you're trying so hard to get out of may be the very pathway to what God wants to accomplish in and through your life. Don't rush too quickly from your troubles. Don't waste them. For you and me. Are you at a place where you're asking God to make it stop? Are you beginning to realize that the particular problem that you're in is not an accident and that God might have a purpose in mind that you never imagined, you never dreamed? He's not out to get you or hurt you. He's out to come and manifest himself to you more powerfully than ever before. Will you let him do that? I first began to study this passage uh, 16 years ago. I know exactly when I began to study it. 2001, when I had developed an illness that I still deal with today. It's not chronic in the sense of incapacitating, although it could be. But in 2001, I was growing weaker day by day. I lost strength, body strength, physically. Could hardly get up and do anything. Get up, shave, shower, and I was spent. Just had no energy. Completely wiped out. I'm, one day in particular, I had to, to drive to, um, from Baton Rouge to Lake Charles to pray with a friend who was having surgery uh, for cancer. And I, 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 I got down to pray with him. And when I, when I got up, I was dizzy. And I had to kind of touch the wall behind me. And I had a meeting in Alexandria, so it was just a big loop through Louisiana. I had a meeting in Alexandria, and I went to Alexandria and had that meeting. And, and when I d- got home, I told my wife, I said, yeah, I've got to go to the doctor. And, um, and I tell her all the time, you didn't marry no wimp. <laughs> and, and so I knew that this wimp had to go to the doctor because I was wimped out at that point. Uh, the doctor did some tests and, and discovered I had lost an incredible amount of blood volume. And um, he was very close to. to uh, well, we began to act right away, and I went through a number of tests and procedures, and we had to go through a, a long process to get my blood iron back. Uh, but long story short, they developed a pre- uh, discovered a precancerous condition uh, that I'm scoped for almost annually uh, to make sure that it doesn't develop into cancer. Uh, Soft tissue cancer has a five percent survival rate, uh, I was told, and um, and so suddenly I found myself praying very intensely because all six of my children still lived in my house. Oh God, this just doesn't seem like the time for me to go. I'm ready to go. I am. I have no fear of dying. I'm going to be with the Lord. But I had great anxiety about leaving my family and that disturbed me greatly. So I at the conclusion of the process, I threw myself into the Word, threw myself into Scripture at a whole new level. Have you ever experienced that? I think many of you have. You've shared it with me. And when you have that kind of encounter with your own mortality, you often discover the Scripture comes alive in new ways. And and for me, this passage of Scripture was extremely significant. I was given something that I didn't want. I didn't want to have to live with, with a sense of, of uh, something hanging over my head for the rest of my life. But in fact, that was not my call. And what I have found increasingly was that when I am weak, he is strong. Is that your testimony today? Have you discovered that it's in your weakness, that God has done his greatest work in and through you? Have we discovered as a church that it's in our weakness? that God is prepared to answer our prayer for revival. God is prepared to answer our prayer that he would come and manifest himself among us. That God is prepared to answer our prayer to come and do a mighty work in the Delta. But do we understand where that path goes? Do we understand that path may not go through happy times, but through extremely difficult ones? This morning, we're gonna have a time of response because of the topic, because of what I felt the Lord has led me to address, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him. If you're you're confident that God's got this, you may just need to bow your head and just say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And just thank him that even though you're under great distress or pressure or hardship, that you have confidence in him. And you don't know, and you don't feel in yourself any wrestling, any fighting. There's not two wills in your life. You have surrendered to his will. And you just thank him for that. Praise him for that. That's okay. That's good. But you may not be at that point. You may find yourself still struggling. Like Jesus in the garden. Like Peter, uh, Paul crying out three times. Oh God, make it stop. And you may just need someone to pray with you. I encourage you. The pastors and I will be standing down front. Come grab one of these guys. Just say pray for me. You don't have to tell the whole story. They won't even understand the diagnosis or codes or whatever. I mean, you don't, it's not an insurance conversation. Just come to them and say, look, I'm there and I need someone to pray with me. I need someone to help me find my way to the kind of peace that God gives when He is present, to the kind of rest God gives when He is present. I need to find His presence in my life. Just come and say that. They'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. You're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't have a personal relationship with Him. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. This morning, I want to extend an invitation to you to come to Christ. Put your trust in Him as your Lord and as your Savior. He will wash away your sins, and He will come into your life and change you from the inside out. The kind of things we've talked about this morning. You need Christ, and He loves you. You may have another need that... that um, You just need someone to talk with or pray with. You may just need to come and pray quietly here at the steps as God leads. As your heart has been touched, how will you respond to him? Father, thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today through your word. Thank you for the power of the gospel to change a human heart. And thank you for the power that your word has to grow us in Christ and in our intimacy and in our relationship with you thank you thank you and lord i know that there's a dear one here who is hurting and who is desperate and they need relief and father i pray that your truth would grant them that relief that your presence in their heart and your presence all around them will be sufficient to meet their need for we ask it in jesus name amen would you stand with me Pray with me, church, as we prepare to receive our offering. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the many ways that you speak to us, especially when you speak to us in Bible study and through messages like this one. Father, we want to be careful to hear your voice whenever the word is taught. I pray that you would apply that truth to us at a very deep level, um, perhaps even at an unconscious level, a spiritual one pray it would be life-changing, especially for those that need relief from their hurt. Father, as we prepare to give, we recognize, Lord, that the things that uh, you want done, that you have a way of providing for those ministries. You have a way of sustaining those ministries. And we know that part of that is by moving us in our giving. So, Lord, I pray for each person as they're led to give, that you would bless them with a sense of joy Uh, You have said in your word that you love a cheerful or hilarious giver, someone who's excited about the privilege of giving. So, Lord, as you have blessed us, we bless you and we say thank you. And we deliver to you what you want to use to change lives around the world. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. Bless this gift, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: uh Amen. Before we wrap it this morning, I want to encourage you to take your worship folder and look inside there. There's some opportunities for you to take your next step of involvement here at Wayne Baptist Church with us through a ministry or or through something that we're doing here. I want you to just take a look at that. Keep in mind what's what's going on here. But a couple of things I do want to remind you about is is uh, a week from Tuesday is going to be Halloween. Is that right? Tuesday, second twenty third. Yeah. Anyway, the 31st, and I know it's on a Tuesday, and I'm pretty sure it's a week from this Tuesday, <laughs> is uh, we're going to have our Harvest Festival. Now, uh, this is a great time for families to come, for your family to be a part. And you may know of a family that, man, they could really enjoy coming and being a part and experiencing Wind Baptist Harvest Festival. We have these cards down here on the front pews. Come grab one. And, then, and here's a good thing. They can go ahead and register their children, and you can go ahead and use it and register your children that you're bringing that night. And then just bring this card with you. You've already done the hard part. You're just going to take it to the registration table. They'll take care of the rest. But what a great way to use these, to invite folks to come and be a part and experience uh, the Harvest Festival. Continue to bring your candy. And if you're interested in helping and serving that night, we need your help. And there's lots of ways that you can do that. You can sign up in your Bible study group or at the Welcome Center right out these doors. We have a sign-up sheet. Uh, that you can be a part of, and just let us know that you want to help. We'll take care of the rest. And then uh, our missions, if you see our insert, we have some information meetings about some mission trips that will be taking place next year. At 5 o'clock, we have a meeting in the conference room about the trip to Zambia. And so you'll want to know more about that or what that's going to entail or what that's about. Again, it's not a commitment to go, but just to find out more about, man, is this where God's calling me to go? And uh, so 5 o'clock in the conference room, uh at uh it, for zambia then after tonight's worship at 715, 730 ish in the student room is an information meeting about our trip to spokane washington working with uh zach minton and nicole and um and uh, pinnacle church there and and what that's going to entail so you will want to make sure you have if you're interested go to both of them There's the reason why we have them at different times it's okay you're not committed but we just, for you to be informed, and be praying about, God, is this where you want me to go? That's what we would love for you to do. Also, our shoebox ministry, a couple weeks, we'll need to turn that in, those boxes <laughs> in. So if you've been planning on that, well, we got more boxes that need to be filled. And what a great way to share the gospel with somebody because every time the shoeboxes are given, people are sharing the gospel with those children and their families. And so it's a great way to not only provide a gift to a child, but also for them to hear them and their family to hear the gospel and so i want you to be uh, to know about that as well don
0: church this morning i have something i need to share with you um, since i met with the deacons this morning uh, i thought of a passage of scripture in john chapter 8 there's a story of a woman that is caught in adultery. And and the people who catch her in this sin want to expose her, humiliate her, and they want to throw rocks at her. And if you can imagine being that woman, having done something that you realize... That you were caught doing, and to have people that want to expose you and throw rocks at you. Uh, In contrast to that, Jesus comes alongside this person and he challenges those who would throw rocks, he challenges those who would expose and try to shame this person. And when he talks to her, he talks seriously talks clearly and he gives her a way forward his goal is not to condemn her or destroy her he gives her a way forward the apostle Paul later wrote in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 brethren if a man is overtaken in any trespass and that word is not a word just for sin it can mean a sin but it also can describe what happens when you're walking single file on a narrow path and somebody falls over I don't know if you've ever stepped off the sidewalk or, or something like that, but it means to slide sideways or to, to, to slip to the side. And, and, and this, this experience, he says, if anyone is overtaken in this condition, so if you can imagine a bunch of people running from an enemy and one slips and falls, they're about to be overtaken by that enemy. He says, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one Yesterday, Kevin Fisher and I had conversations with two of our staff members. Kevin is our current chairman of the Deacons and leader of our personnel committee. The conversations we had resulted in decisions that not only affect the lives of the two staff members but also impact each of us gathered in this fellowship. It affects all of us. First, I made the difficult decision to terminate the employment of Lisa Love on our staff. Second, I have placed Todd Mayo on a leave of absence, relieving him of his duties on our staff. While I'm deeply saddened that these steps were necessary, I do believe that we have acted in the best interest of both staff members and the Wynn Baptist Church family. We also believe that it is in the best interest of all concerned not to broadcast the reasons why these actions were taken because real people with real feelings are involved I believe the best way to minimize any further hurt or damage is to confine the facts and details to those persons who have been empowered by this church to make decisions like this and it should go no further I'm very sensitive to the fact that sudden and unexplained staff changes can deeply divide and disrupt a church. I know you have many questions that I'm not going to be able to answer to your satisfaction. I know that most of you would like to know what is happening and why. You will be tempted, and listen to me carefully, you will be tempted to speculate on what happened, to fill in the blanks, and a rush to judgment, your own judgment. Please, please, please don't do that. Don't fill in the blanks with hearsay and opinions and gossip. Don't get part of the story and assume you know the entire story. I can say that right now, we, we talked about this um, I can just say this, that if right now you're trying to add one and one and you think you know the answer, you're wrong. Do not assume and do not try to fill in the blank. Just don't go there. Don't take sides because each of us belongs to the Lord and there is only one side. There is only one. So what can you do? You can certainly step up and help where there'll be gaps in ministry and there will be and we'll need all hands on deck you can decide right now to be gracious and kind refusing to gossip or spread stories and seeking to simply be an encourager to every other member in this body including those who've been affected directly my desire is that like the church described in the book of acts we will not Defeated by the enemy's plans, but whether, rather we will simply be faithful to what God has called us to do as a church body, and as Mike says, to be the church. For us at this moment, I believe that that means praying much to the Father, asking Him to work in our hearts, bringing us to a place of greater devotion to Him. And looking to him to supply us with his love for every other member of his family. We are engaged in a great spiritual conflict here in the Arkansas Delta. Every time you and I draw near to the Lord to do his will, we will be attacked by the enemy. He will try and deceive you into believing that your brother or sister in Christ is your enemy. That is a lie. We do not war against flesh and blood. He will do all he can to distract us from Jesus and divide us from one another, rendering our church useless in the fight. Why does the enemy do it? There are many lives and homes at stake. I think you know that. The last thing he wants is for someone out there to see the gospel in the way we love each other right here. He doesn't care if we preach the truth, but he trembles when we begin to live out that truth. Would you come together this morning around Jesus? Not me, not a committee, but around him. Will you join me in praying for Lisa and for Todd and his family and our church? Will you set your heart to love him And to love every person that he loves. When you don't feel like you can do that, will you ask him to pour out his love through your life? His love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his life through you and me. And simply pray, Lord, love through me. because when I'm weak and you do that Lord then I'm strong tonight uh, we will not have the scheduled choir presentation that we were planning Uh, we will have a time of prayer for the church if you're available I invite you to come it'll be a prayer meeting and I'll be leading it, and I'll be encouraging us as we pray, I'll provide guidance as we pray. Um, it's not a, a business meeting. It's not a discussion meeting. It is a prayer meeting, and I would invite you to come be a part of it. And in coming weeks, I believe I'm going to be asking or providing additional opportunities for us to pray together in the next few weeks and months. Dear ones, I believe that's the only thing that can heal our hearts and heal our church. I believe he has a way for us through this.